The DWA podcast is recorded live to SD card at the old Wrigley building in Santa Cruz, California. Driving while awesome podcast radio hour. <laughs> oh my god. Yo. Do you guys know what a fluffer is? GTO. Mellow grinds. Oh, I got a PT Cruiser. It's a convertible. It's really cool. All oh, this melts of crayons for you. <laughs> hey, YOLO. You only have one life. Do you have coilovers? No, beat it. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good podcast right there. <laughs> Damn it, I screwed up. Welcome to Driving While Awesome. My name is Warren. I'm Lane. I'm Ali. I'm Brian. Once again, we are joined by... Racing Ali. Racing Ali. ADD Ali. Racing underscore Ali. That's right. That's right. Do you really have an underscore? I'm Jeez. trying to get rid of it, but it's not working. Uh, ADD Ali. That's a good one. I like yeah. that. Put the mic closer to you, Sorry, please. sorry, sorry. Yeah, you really kind of lean back. You're on a podcast. Yeah, you're closer to the mic. You can pull it towards no, you. No, no, that's okay. That's the way I roll. I'm kind of stoked on Warren starting the podcast. He's like, <clears throat> he kind of we're chatting, and then he like kind of takes a step back. He's like, okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. <laughs> Okay, now. <laughs> start it now. <laughs> just what angle is the sun right now? <laughs> yeah, start it. Uh, Ali, what cars do you have in your quiver these days? Uh, I have a, my daily driver is a 2017 Mercedes S550E hybrid. It's got a nice carpool sticker on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I have a 1971 BMW 2002 with a well-built S14 motor in it, 2.3. Um, I have a 73 Ford Escort rally car. Um, it's set up as a tarmac rally car with a Cosworth YB turbo motor out of a Sierra RS and a 74 911 in jade green. 70s guy. It's totally 70s guy. And of those cars, uh, which do you have in your possession right now? None of them. <laughs> The, oh, you don't have the 2002 right now? Wait, I have, a, I have a question. How long does it take to get a rear main seal, a rear main seal fixed on the 2002? It, it only takes a day. Yeah. But, um, but the guys at Edge are very busy, and two of them just had babies, and one of them broke their leg in a really gnarly way. So super short-staffed, and I'm not... You know, it's the winter season here. Well, I, I'm tired of your complaining about not having the car on Instagram. I, I didn't complain one word. <laughs> All the time. It's like, no. I miss driving roads in this oh, car. That's true. Oh, oh, dude, you've made like four for, of those. For those of you that live off of And my when Instagram, I say four, I mean like two, lane. but still. He searches your name first. All I said on my Instagram was, well, I he double posts everything because he posts everything on. I have another Instagram page called Retrosport and Retrosport. Sporting. <laughs> you would think I would know. I made the logo. Yeah. Rest sporting and out racing Ali. Yeah. And, I have a couple uh, of other nascent Instagram pages. Well, yeah, you had like fat tires or no, something. No, save the sidewalls. Yeah. What happened to that? Yeah. And and I also have one that I haven't even used yet called Driven in Anger. Okay. But <laughs> wow. cool story. But what happened to fatsidewalls.com? <laughs> <laughs> Lost weight. Uh I don't know. I mean, is it because I got rid of my BFGs? Yes. Oh, it was. Yeah. You go from 14s to 15s. What, oh, yeah. you, what do you want me to do? I know. I'm with you, dude. Save the side. Yeah. All these all about 13. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be the downgrade? Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, 
the rear main seal is taking a while just because I told them no pressure and they have, they're supporting a few race teams. By the way, never tell anyone no pressure. Never tell a shop no pressure. Yeah. I know that. Dude, but well, no, I own shop. I know that. Basically. I'm but getting Brian, free storage. Brian, what do you I really want me miss to do? driving this I'm car. I'm just driving. You're <laughs> complaining about it all the time, dude. I'm sick well, so a uh, rear main Jesus seal is Christ. kind of a pain in the ass, right? This yeah, is of the motor, the trans- right? Yeah, we gotta drop We're trying to find the oil leak without pulling the transmission and all of that stuff out of the car. Yeah. And we just recently found that it's a rear main seal. So it's coming out. But I thought you. Said, I thought it was leaking from the rear end, from the diff. No, no, no. no. It was no. either on top of the tranny or yeah. at the rear main seal. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways. And that this makes, takes us back to the to Sierra Rally, which yeah, is what exactly. and that makes so much more out. sense exactly. to me than the the shifter yes. thing. Yeah. yeah, the shifter theory. platform did come loose, and the top bolt for the shifter platform pulled out. And you thought there was a chance there's oil was getting shot out of there. Yeah, under pressure. exactly. But that that was not it. But it would have been everywhere. It would have been drizzling. It down. was everywhere. It was all was over it? the place. So but from the top of the transmission. So I think. Well, no, because he was saying it, the bolt came out from the top. But they, I think what was just happening was that with all of the brisk driving that I was doing, a lot of that oil was just yeah, kind just of gets blown everywhere. Just, just getting blown all through the tunnel and everything. Yeah, yeah. so it drips down. Yeah, because it's a rear main everywhere. seal. And also, then, he and flips up, and then all this truth comes out. Like it turns out, he like drilled a hole in his transmission. That was a and he had to cover it with JB weld or something. Bring up old stuff all the time. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, I accidentally drilled a hole in my transmission. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Whatever. People do that. Uh, The Escort has been uh, getting... Why is this sheet metal so thick? (laughs) (laughs) Push harder. (laughs) I didn't realize this drill bit was so short. (laughs) Uh, They're so long. Um, the escort is, and it's an escort Mexico it, with the flares, with the bubble flares for you listening at and, home. Uh, really crazy. They're called X pack wheels, which are the super rare motorsport wheels made by ATS for Ford. They're X's. They are X um, four spoke. Why is it called a Mexico? So in the early seventies, um, we actually happen to have a book right here that will explain that. But in the early seventies, the Mark One Escort competed in the, I believe it was the London, like London to Mexico, to Mexico yeah, rally, okay. and it won, and then it won again the following year. So then in like '72, that was um, it was that was basically like the intro of the Mark One Escort. Yeah, was so, the the uh, this like super, it was like a month long rally or something yeah, crazy, exactly. London to Mexico. Well, and you had to like. It had to be an aqua, like a boat too, yeah, right? Yeah, amphibicar. Yeah, yeah. Amphi- yeah. Had to go, or did have paddles or had to go across the. Well, ocean. this was the seventy, so they some just jumped helicopters. The- oh, okay, but um, but the cool thing about the Mexico is that the it's not just an appearance package with decals and stuff, and most of the Mexicos weren't flared. This one wasn't flared, um, but we added the, I, the the flares were added before I got it. Um, Isn't are the they metal flared? Like front and rear bubble flares. They're added on? I thought that was part of the body for some reason. No, it's all molded. They're molded in. It's all molded in. But they're fiberglass? Yeah. Um, Are the original ones fiberglass? Yeah, the original ones were fiberglass, but now they make steel flares that you can get and are fiberglass. The cool thing about the Mexico, though, is that it comes from the factory stitch welded. And it has a bunch of different uh, reinforcements and all the different sheet metal metal interfaces. It's like an ITR. Yeah. So let me uh, let me read a little That's good bit. Knowledge, Lane. I have a little excerpt to read from London to Mexico. The 1970 London to Mexico marathon was longer, tougher, and more ambitious than any previous rally, and the British factory team entered into the spirit by spending money on a correspondingly epic scale. 
Hanu Mikola's Escort in picture five here, which you can't see at home, outperformed cars built for comfort as much as speed, such as the Hillman Hunter, the Triumph 2.5 PI, and even the Austin Maxi. But the event is remembered just as much for boats and planes as automobiles, even if the latter included a Rolls Royce. Hmm. So I can't you can believe see- it built the Max beat the Maxi. It's crazy. <laughs> so it's interesting. Like you see these Epic triumph, too. really real credentials there. Like, yeah. well, so there were these. It was a shift uh, from like these long endurance rallies where you know, uh, the, uh, like, uh, just the endurance of the drivers and the cars would be most paramount. Like you just have to have really durable stuff. Uh, and you can see these cars, they're packed. You know, this is a super long rally. They're packed with luggage and tires on the roof and everything. Um, and then you see the escort and this was a new thing, you know, like a new development is, uh, they were building them for speed rather than durability. And the escorts totally trimmed down. Like I would imagine if they have any, you know, there's nothing hanging on the roof. Uh, it's got big old flares, big wide tires. If they had any spare tires, they were like, you know, stored inside. But it was, you know, that was the beginning of that shift. That's cool. Well, that answers my question. Thank you, guys. Yeah. That's a podcast. I'll see you guys next time. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Oh, cool. Um, okay, so the Escort, you got it, and it had a basic motor, but you expected it to have something a little so this, fancier, and then you decided to make it fancy. Yeah, so the Escort's got an interesting story. I, I've known about this car for almost 20 years. It was sitting in South San Francisco. Um and basically it was a British Ford manufactured in Germany, then taken to Belgium and it was raced there. And then it was brought over to the United States, um, I think around, uh, 25 years ago. Uh, and, um, the original motor, which I believe was a, uh, two liter, um, or sorry, 1600 twin cam motor was taken out. And a two liter twin cam was put in what I thought was a BDG Cosworth motor, which is a very special motor. Later I find out that, um, it was not as special of a Cosworth motor. So then I decided to say, okay, well, but it's still a twin cam. It was a twin cam. So it was like a Capri two, motor. It a, no, it was a, um, it was like, what is it called? The, it was a Cosworth Vega motor. Oh, okay. Okay. Which is pretty cool, but the Vega motors were not, it was basically a really crappy die cast block. It's like a Pinto motor, but kind of. It was like a die cast aluminum version of a Pinto motor with huh. a kind of with dual red cam twin cam uh head. head. So those motors are capable of making about two hundred horsepower, but you have to like do um engine block cradles and stuff like that. Uh so then what I ended up doing was I started calling around and uh, one of our Instagram friends connected me to a guy up in Washington that specializes in rally cars. And he does Volvo rally cars and a bunch of other stuff. And he has a few of these Cosworth motors. And um, I convinced him to sell me one of the Cosworth YB motors as a turbo setup. So essentially it is um, a homologation motor from the Sierra RS uh, that they had in Europe. So that's like 80s? Yeah, so late 80s. Yeah. Basically, we got the XR4TI, which is essentially the, the shitty version. It's the Pinto like SVO <laughs> motor. Yeah. Um, not the good one, not, it's still a good motor. It's very not durable, one, but though. it's not the desirable one. The desirable one is the twin cam real Cosworth motor, which is like what the big difference is between the American XR4 TI and the European Sierra. 
the real big difference is that motor in the gearbox. And so, um, so this twin cam proper Cosworth motor, these motors are known to make 650, 800, even more horsepower with no problems. Jesus. Um, I mean the, the Ken blocks, do you think that's enough for that car? No, <laughs> the, the escort that Ken blocks, Ken block drives is basically exactly the same motor that I have in my oh, car. So his no motor has, you know, because it's running so much power and so stressed out, um, it has different head gasket. It has different pistons, bigger turbo and, and a completely different Wait, fuel management. Which system. escort are you talking about? His eighties one, one or the Mark two, the eighties one. The, in, in 90, it's, I think, or actually, not, yeah, 90, 90s, 90s, 90, yeah. 91. Yeah. His Mark II Escort has a, um, uh, I forgot, a Millington engine. And so a Millington engine is basically like this really rad, like built up two liter BDG motor. Um, we're getting in like into the crazy weeds with Cosworth, uh, motor okay. stuff. But so did the, your, the, the engine you got, did it come as a turbo or is that a, it came as a, Four wheel drive turbo. Okay. Wow. And then I had to change the exhaust manifold and turbo setup to the two wheel drive turbo setup because I'm running the two wheel drive European Ford Bro- uh, Borg Warner T5 gearbox. So Did they made an all wheel drive version of that car. Well, the Sierra, oh, the Sierra, oh, oh, the Sierra that the is. That was this is the the, the sick yeah, ones yeah. that yeah. show up at Radwood every once in a while. It's like yeah. the one I put on the holiday card. Yeah, it's the one right. that um, right, the guy right. from Dirt. Or no, that was an RS. Yeah, that was an RS two hundred. Yeah, yeah. So, so that you could get that in all wheel all wheel drive. Got it. Um, and so what I have is I have basically a lot of the all wheel drive stuff because it's a little bit more compact on the engine. So the intake manifold and the throttle linkage and all it has of that to be stuff. More, more compact to make room for all that. But it has the two wheel drive Borg Warner T5 gearbox, which is basically like a Mustang T5, but everything's fine spline and, um, uh, you know, built more specifically for uh, a turbo four cylinder. Um, then, I took that mo, I, it was very hard. That was actually harder to find than the engine. Oh. It was the, the gearbox. You can't just find a normal T5, like a standard. No, the, 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 the stack up from the back of the engine through the bell housing where the clutch goes and all of that stuff is specific to that. Um, as far as I understand. So is that uh, the same? Cause I know the, and the what's the one we got? The, the stupid. Um, next R4 Ti, they did not come with a T5, but everyone puts T5s That's in right. them. So they put the same transmission you got, no, or they put the coarse, they put coarse spline T5, oh, okay. which is like the Mustang T5. Yeah. So I put the fine spline. And the reason I did that was because all of the stuff that we're really interested in for rally driving, um, is available for the fine spline stuff, not the coarse spline. So hmm. I bought, I have a full Quaife gear set in this transmission, freshly built with all new internals. So it's a brand new, Quaife gearbox with an old, uh, Borg Warner T5 aluminum housing, hmm. um, that's been all built out. Mm. And that, like I said, that was the hardest thing to get done, um, out of the whole setup because I had to basically do everything in England and then send it over. So you're running full turbo. Do, every, do everything in England, meaning get the, so you get purchased the gears, it, get the gears and, and have it built the rebuild kit, um, from Burton power Wait, I think it was like a six week wait because the Quaif gear sets are made to order. 
Um, but That's the cool thing crazy. is you can you choose, choose you all can your choose gear ratios. Yeah. So I basically, I talked to the Which rally all of guys. Sudden, yeah. You're into Gran Turismo mode where it's like, you totally <laughs> fuck everything up. Yeah. <laughs> by so, choosing it. But I, I basically just talked to Burton. You're Power. in fourth said, gear like, at like what 60 do, miles an hour. Yeah. Like what do people do that want to yeah. be able to drive this thing and, but still like have fun with it. So yeah. what we did was we basically did a close ratio first to fourth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then fifth is an overdrive. Major so overdrive, fourth yeah. gear is one to one. Fifth is uh, like 0.8 one to one or something like yeah. that. Uh. Um, and then essentially, so now I have essentially a racing gearbox from first to fourth gear. And then fifth gear is a highway speed, Rad. highway gear, CHP shift knob or no. Um, I actually have a BMW shift knob in it, but it is a factory BMW motorsport golf ball shift knob. So in the mid nineties or early nineties, um, the BMW touring cars came with a weighted rubber golf ball shift knob. The BTCC, like real race. Yeah. Cars. Yeah. And, um, once I saw one of those shift knobs on a friend of mine's race car up in Seattle, I fell in love with that thing. Cause it's even nicer than the, the nice like cami ones or the factory hmm. GTI ones. Cause it's heavier and it has a really nice kind of like hmm. hard rubber feel. Um, and the fortunate thing is you can just call BMW and buy them. I have the part number. Nice. So I basically just, I made it my own shift lever off the T5 gearbox to, to accept that shift knob. So you've built this thing. It's, Hold on. Just one yeah. more piece of the drivetrain is the differential. Like yeah, what, what so, are you doing for gears there? So there's one other little piece. So the cool thing is that now that I have this whole Quave set up, when I want, it is simply a part swap to go right. sequential. So I can oh, basically. To get to sequential? Yeah. So I can basically. You don't need a new this, case a and lot everything? Of this stuff. So yes. So you, I, I would basically, because this gearbox is all built like it is, I would pull the gearbox off and sell it. I could probably sell it for yeah. like six or eight grand how it sits right now. <clears throat> and then for eight grand, you can buy a sequential Quaif gearbox. Mm-hmm. Um, just bolts right in. It bolts right in. Uh, but, um, so the gearbox is there. I do have, um, uh, as Ken Block calls it, a fun stick. So I put a hydraulic handbrake. Nice. A nice, you know, it's right next to the shifter, super easy to grab. The rear end is the last piece of the puzzle that I have not done yet. So it has a Ford Capri um, limited slip uh, rear end in it right now. It has drum brakes on the rear, but um, it is a kind of a known like um, setup that people do in England all the time that's supposed to work pretty well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the four link. It doesn't have a Watts link on it um, or any of those fancy things yet. So my plan was to get it running with the motor and gearbox, sort out the front suspension, and then once I'm kind of comfortable with how the how the car works, then I'm going to do the whole like rear end. Because so I have heard that those are a little funky, the rear ends. Like just so just getting the right bits and pieces. Yeah. So like for example, if you want to do disc brakes in the rear end, you have to do this like kind of weird like it's almost semi inboard where basically the disc brake assembly kind of like pulls back towards the pumpkin a little bit so that you hmm. can fit a 13 inch wheel um, over the rear brakes. No way. Um, so it's like a hat, like that goes kind over of, yeah, the... it's like a deep hat. So for those of you who are interested, you can go to motorsport dash tools.com or Burton power um's website. And you can look at all of these really rad parts for these cars. Um, but you can buy a fully loaded rear end with everything with, with the right limited slip, the Watts link, all the hardware, the brakes, everything fully loaded to your door for like six grand. Um, so eventually I'll do something and like it's, that. It's such a known entity and it's a total, like yeah. it's what every one of these like yeah. rally cars with, you know, 350 horsepower Mark two escorts run. 
So I'll do that eventually, but right. I just want to run it as it is right now, just because it's, it's such an isolated project that I can kind of do everything and then do this later. Yeah. You can run everything and make sure it's all yeah. working right. I couldn't, I couldn't put all of this together without the new subframe, meaning I needed the new front suspension and it's a lot. Yeah. The whole front end has to be all dialed. Yeah. So you keep mentioning rally, rally, rally. Are you setting this up for gravel off-road rally racing? I so mean, it, eventually, th- then my next question is suspension. Like, Obviously, that takes you down a whole other yeah. path, right? So I haven't even gone through that rabbit hole yet. But basically, the ultimate goal is I have all of the um, what what used to be called um, World Cup, and now it's WRC. But but I have all the official World Cup um, front suspension on it now, uh, which is the trailing arms and <coughs> all the gravel bits and pieces. Um, the th- the ultimate goal is to put the um, long travel Olin's dampers on the front and the rear, but I need to finish the rear end so I can get the geometry so I can order all the dampers. Um, and then, um, but yeah, the ultimate goal is drive it how it is now, work out some kinks, maybe do a rally or two, then do the rear end and finish the suspension. And when you say rally or two, you're talking about DWA, rally. Yeah, yeah. DWA. Yeah. Um, do the suspension and then, um, and then things like roll cage and, and yeah. stuff like that. Oh, really? So you want to, you want to build it up to actually use it in a motorsport setting. <laughs> it's not going to be a, no, wait, not a full cage or half cage. <clears throat> I would probably do, um, a full cage that would be legal for, um, what, you know, whatever the, the spec is. Oh. Yeah. The problem is that the engine is not legal at all. Mm. It's turbo YB. So just be for funsies. It would be for fun. So I could do rally crosses and stuff. But the ultimately, once I'm at that point, pulling the turbo motor out and putting a Cosworth BDG would be super easy. And that would be the only piece that's left to make it this like FIA legal, like race car. Huh. I think, I think where I want to be with the car and be comfortable is this motor finishes the front and rear suspension finish the interior, maybe a half cage and just leave it and just keep yeah. it a hot rod. So it's basically the Ford equivalent of my 2002 where it's an old chassis, but it's an earlier than your 2002. It, 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 yeah. The specs are much what, like 300 horsepower. <clears throat> so the motor, uh, was built to handle somewhere around 400 horsepower. Um, with a wastegate change injectors and an EPROM, I can get uh 375 reliable horsepower out of this motor um, but it is detuned for 275 to 300 horsepower okay. on 91 octane pump fuel. Nice. And the car weighs somewhere around 1,900 pounds. Yeah, that'll do so it. That'll definitely do it. Fun. Yeah, it's just being turbocharged. Seems like it takes from your 2002. It's a, it's a big step. It's a total right, like right different there. thing. Yeah, it's a total yeah. different thing. It's because that would be the next car. the next kind of line of thinking is you have a 2002 that is built pretty much perfectly for what we do. On a, yeah, on these rallies and drives and such. I think Lane and I were talking that like ten to one is kind of the perfect like weight to horsepower ratio, and the two thousand two is almost exactly ten to one, and that's you know it feels so good. It you know has now the right amount of suspension travel and all of this stuff. It's it's so great on these rallies. Yep. The Ford just kind of turned out to become a little bit of an animal, and you know if it ends up being my stupid car that I just go out and like do fun stuff with every once in a while. That's great. Um, if it turns out to be too much or too similar to my 2002, then I'll probably end up selling it. Yeah. 
um, to Brian after he wins the lottery. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you traded this book for it. Yeah, it sounds like it's gonna be a little more of a race car and less of yeah. Know, where your two thousand two is more towards like a more singer. Compromised. It's, yeah, you know? it's more exactly. Compromised. Yeah, the, the Escort has like an AIM digital dash. It doesn't have a radio in it. Yeah. The heater barely works. Like, it's definitely like a track focused uh-huh. kind of thing. Do you have AC in your two thousand two? No, and you have nice stereo though. It has a pretty good stereo. Yeah. I mean, I I had Forrest over at Google Works make a couple of speaker pods so I can put speakers in the front, and it's got a couple. Yeah, and he has like back, nice leather seats. Yeah, and it's like you yeah. can drive it's across nice the country. Nicely appointed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the 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 Mexico is not going to be that. I'm no. curious to know what the build quality differences are between your 2002 and that. I mean, it's. Because yours is also the stitch welded one, and it seems a little bit more the, special. The analogy but. is, um, you know, the Ford Escorts, the Mark Ones and Mark Twos, are exactly the same as like a '65, '66, '67 Ford Mustang is in America. Yeah. So you can basically all of the parts and modifications, and if you take that entire ecosystem of a mid to late '70s, sorry '60s Mustang in America, is the early to mid '70s. Uh, Ford Escort in England. But I think what Warren's talking about is build quality itself. Like, yeah, this well, has the nothing thing. to do so with the build, build quality. quality like, for example, Mustang, right? Well, yeah. If you, a if you more pick up a 65 Mustang Fastback, you know, a Shelby or something like that, it's like, holy shit, this thing is amazing. But it's a you know, a box of sh- like, it's a shit box, right? A box of shit is what yeah, you're exactly. <laughs> it's It's kind of a crappy car. It's the same with the Escort. Like, the Escort on its own is, it's just a really crappy little, like, econo box. And then... Yeah, whereas, like, the 2002, you close that door and you're like, this thing's watertight. I could float around in this thing if I wanted to. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, almost getting to, like, 911 build quality. I mean, you know, the 911, I think, still has higher build quality than the 2002s. Um, But you start getting to a level of refinement where you're like, oh, you know, this... These things fit, you know, I can take a pedal box out of a 2002 and put it in any other 2002, but you can't really do that on a, on a Ford without saying like, I got to open up this hole or that, you know, moving stuff mm-hmm. around, staying with like trim pieces and tail lights and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. So that's where you start seeing the differences. Mm-hmm. And then 911 world, where are you at in that? You, you um, got a rebuild? So the engine is rebuilt. We bumped the compression a little bit, um, mostly back to just stock, but everything. Kept the cylinder heads the same. You just yeah. machined them and yeah. valve job. We, um, uh, basically did, built it to the spec of a, like a 74, 75, 911S. Uh, still has a CIS. Eventually I want to put carburetors on it. Why is that? Why do you, why do you want to do carburetors? Um, CI, you could, you can feel the CIS holding the engine back. Like huh. low end torque is good. Uh-huh. Um, but then that, that kind of like that personality you get in a 911 engine above like 4,000 RPM when you have like an MFI or car. Oh, do MFI. That would be so rad. Dude, MFI. How if much I were is to one do, of those? In, I don't know. It's probably, setups. it's probably 12 grand, right? <laughs> 12 to find. How about Rosanti or whatever? So, okay. So wait, wait, you're about to say 12 to find one that needs to be rebuilt. 12 to find one that claims to be good. Yeah. that still needs stuff. How ridiculous. Um, so Andrew at Rosant. Yeah. Um, Rosant. Like his stuff is from my, from an engineer's perspective, the best stuff out there. 
Um, and I actually had one of his AEM setups that I ended up selling because it was too big for my engine. I think that would be really awesome, but I think it is way too much for basically a stock 2.7. Yeah, but so much engine. more like refined than that carburetor, right? And like easier to keep going. Maybe? What do you mean uh, way too much? Because don't you tune it? Isn't that the thing? It's yeah, like but it, by it the will time, be perfectly so, tuned to that motor. So you would spend easily eight to ten grand. Oh, I see. Bolting so the EFI. It's a, it's a kind of a standard motor that you're working with. And yeah, so if going I was working crazy on like a with twin plug, FI. you can buy $1,200 worth of carbs and be fine. I, yeah, I mean, like IDF's, um, Borla made a system, right? I don't know if Borla uh, made a system. I thought they made a, like a stack fuel injection kind of system. No, I don't think so. Hmm. Um, uh, I can get some Weber carbs or PMO carbs, like good used ones for like 2,500 bucks mm-hmm. for three grand. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really good, like a good setup with manifold and all of that stuff. You're like five or six. Okay. But that's like the top of the mark, right? And it's done. And it's done. And I've driven plenty of cars with. And you never uh, have to tinker with carbs ever again. Well, I, I mean, just. Plug and play. If if I feel like that is true. If you if you do it right. If you right? do it right. Really? So on my 2002, I've had that car for 23 something years. Um, for 18 of those years, I was on. For let's say 15 of those years, I was on uh 40 millimeter Weber side draft DCOEs. Once I installed those carburetors and tuned them, I never touched them again. Whether I was up Over in how altitude, many miles? many like at least five or six rallies. Yeah. Five years of daily driving the car. That's good. Yeah. And there were times where the car would sit in my mom's garage for like two years and I would get in, mm, put fine. a booster on the battery and it would start right huh. up. No, that's amazing. So if, if, you know, and, and I, maybe I'm unique. I have a lot of experience tuning carburetors. You're very unique. Um, thank you. Uh, and so once the carburetors are set up and kind of dialed in, you kind of don't need to mess with them that yeah, much. Yeah, because I mean, I think it, we don't just, have you match like extreme... it. You match it with the motor, and that's, that's a hard right. thing to do, right? Like you match it for the motor, and then how you want it to feel. Yeah. And the as other far thing as, like, is that you need to make sure power. you start with good carburetors. Like a lot of people that tinker with carburetors because they pulled a carburetor out of a junkyard. Yeah. And the and throttle shaft the shit's is loose, all like moving around. Like, yeah. They haven't done like they haven't done a, a true disassembly and deep clean and make sure all the seats are good and clean and replace all the jets and batteries and all of that stuff. Like if you, if you build a proper carburetor and tune it properly. Um, and the other big thing for us is that we don't have like these extremes of temperature, right? Right. We're, we're relatively right. mild temperature here. Yeah. So it's, it's not that big of a deal. So the other thing you have going for you is that you're driving an 11 and if Art yeah. were here, he would comment on the smell, but it's all but in it's, the back. It's in the back, right? Hopefully. Sure. Until you turn the heater on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's the other knock against some of that, some of those systems. Right. Yeah. But um, again, you know, it shouldn't be pumping out fuel smell probably. No. Right. It should no. not. But then again, Art had a very well built 2002 and he took it to somebody and paid a very lots of money. Yeah. Very he, large. Unfortunately, sum. I think he, I wish he would have let think me, he, it, let me have it for five minutes with him or half a day. Yeah. I'm almost a hundred percent sure that that fuel smell was from the EVAP canister. Mm. So it has an EVAP off the rear tank. So you can, that sick, that system can leak pretty easily. Yeah. And then the tank that's sitting up below the parcel tray on the passenger side, 
those things ha- always have cracks in them. Yeah. And, and they get clogged. They are full. Exactly. Right? And so like once the carburetor is running right, if you do, if you don't have a few, a visible fuel leak under the hood, you're not going to smell gas under the hood. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's definitely not the carburetors that cause that problem. Um, well, he also owns a fuel injected car now that's still. Yeah. Cause it wasn't just leaking out of the car arms or <laughs> yeah. anything. Right. Yeah. I, I think he, so, or it's definitely not supposed to do that. It's so, like a 944 has a like, evap canister in the front left fender and that yeah. thing will get a crack in it or something right. and, or the tube going to it will crack. Fuel and, smell will come yeah. from an evap canister. Mm-hmm. If it's like all of a sudden you start smelling yeah. fuel smell, then look for a leak. But if it's like, I kind of, you know, if you start smelling like random whiffs of raw gas, it's yeah. like an evap thing. Yeah. And so it's usually coming out of the tank. And if you smell it more when the tank is empty, it's obvious that like you have more like, um, uh, more of that, that evaporated the fuel vapor, yeah. the vapor sitting there. Like, yeah. So that's a whole different. Okay. Ball well, of wax. That, and you're also not probably as sensitive to it as some people. So I enjoy the smell can, of gasoline. You can get by. Yeah. As the 2019 Formula One season wraps up, the best way to stream every second of the action is with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you easily catch every race. Get set up in under 10 minutes and enjoy HD streams throttle free. Here's how it works. If you don't have a U.S. cable subscription, ESPN2 is a great way to tune in. Get ExpressVPN and then connect to a server location in the U.S. Visit YouTube TV or PlayStation View and use the free trial. For those in the UK, you can catch every race on Sky Sports F1. Just get ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, and visit Sky Sports on Now TV. ExpressVPN works on your computer, your phone, router, and consoles like Fire TV, so you can watch all the action from any device. Enjoy all the remaining races this season in HD with the world's most trusted VPN, ExpressVPN. Use our special link today to get three months free at expressvpn.com forward slash awesome. That's expressvpn.com forward slash awesome for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com forward slash awesome to learn more. Thanks. So let's talk about a track day. Yeah, let's talk about track day. Oh uh, yeah, Michael Otani asked about that on Facebook actually. Oh, so all right. Um, so uh, I I think most of us have been talking about like how do we get our old unreliable crappy cars on track without having to you know compete uh, you know during the same time as McLarens and GT3s and stuff like that. And I used to do many many track days every year. Um, like, like many of us. And it's such a fun experience. And unlike most of the people that I would do track days with, my main focus was to go out there, enjoy the car, enjoy the track and enjoy the community. Um, but everybody else had transponders and all of this stuff and focused on lap times and all of, and you know, what's your fastest lap time today and this and that, and then you get caught up in it. So that's, and that it honestly kind of pushed me away from doing track days. And so I've always wanted to do 
track days with no emphasis on lap times and it's just come out and have some fun. If you don't want to run in the session, doesn't matter. You want to do one lap or 20 laps, doesn't matter. Just come out and have fun. So a friend of mine, Ace, um, who runs exclusive track days, um, and I got together. He also has a Mark II Ford Escort. He was on um, the Sierra Rally in his Peugeot uh, GTI. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, so he has experience putting track days on, and so him and I decided to do a track day. Um, and the first track day is oh, – so we started a group called Retro Sporting, and it's on Instagram and on Facebook uh, under the name Retro Sporting. And basically um, – we started our, our first track day is April 10th at Willow Springs, Big Willows. Originally, I wanted to run it at Streets of Willows or Sonoma were my two kind of main tracks because th- those two tracks I feel are really, really great for low power, like kind of um, slow car fast types of cars. Yeah, Streets seems like it would be great. Yeah, Streets was not available. Um, and Sonoma, Thunder Hill were both just unbelievably expensive. Um, there are a bunch of politics around Laguna and Laguna was still kind of expensive. I wanted to, we wanted to keep this day relatively small. So we're capping at about 44 or 45 cars, um, two run groups, and we are not sharing this day with anybody else. So the cool thing is that we will have as much or as little lap time as you want. Um, and the first run group is essentially, we call it group two. We kind of named it after, the old original, uh, 70s run groups, um, from I, I believe SCCA back then. Um, and the first run group is essentially, it doesn't matter if you have zero track experience and you're afraid your car is going to fall apart after the second corner, just take it out, point bypassing only, slow cars, have fun. And then group five, which is the faster run group, if, like if you have a proper historic race car, but you don't want to run it at like Sonoma Speed Festival or something like that. Or you just have a fun old car, like somebody like Paul Kramer, who knows how to drive his car. He knows it's reliable and he, he knows how to push it um, from Auto Kennel. Uh, he can come out in group five and run it or, you know, somebody can come out and, and run in group two. So that's the whole point of the day. Um, it's at Big Willows. It will be super duper fun. And I think we're... You know, we may open it up to more cars if we get a lot more signups. Um, and we're capping it currently at 1988, which is a little bit of a weird year. Um, <clears throat> but we want to try to keep the track full of ideally mostly 70s and early 80s cars. <clears throat> but if we get more, you know, towards the date and, and we need to expand it to, to kind of fill, fill the slots. Um, and for some special, it's kind of like the anti driving wall, some kind of thing. Well, I mean, part of this, like not directly, but indirectly, I don't want to overlap too much with what you guys are doing. Um, and, and, you know, my passion is a lot more in the, the seventies cars than it is in the eighties and nineties cars, as much as I love the Radwood era cars. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I wanted it to be kind of like that, that seventies track day experience without, without all the, the racing and, and intense pressure. Yeah, I mean, you start getting into 80s and like later 80s and 90s and you start getting M- M3s yeah. and it's those are like yeah. the normal track day cars. And Yeah, exactly. Like you an can E30, go to any track day with that. Yeah. A, a good E30 M3 or an E36 M3 yeah. starts to become really fast cars. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I want car, I want, I want slow car fast out there. Like, yeah. Uh, um, 
Jay is bring he's bringing uh, Joe is bringing the Herbie. That would be fun. <laughs> 80 horsepower or 60 nice. horsepower, something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Dude, if you're lucky. 80 off of that. Yeah. So uh, that's yeah. cool. What do you think about the idea? We're going to have, sorry, we're going to have a black and white photographer out there taking pictures yes. for everybody. Um, we're going to, we're going to take pictures in the paddock of the people. Like we're going to make this a, a really, really fun event. We'll have music and, and stuff like that too. Mm. I love it. All Sounds like 50s bad. music. No, yeah. no, no. Like cardboard yeah, Bring your crybabies out. <laughs> Poodles. <laughs> yeah. Cardboard cutouts. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have Elvis impersonators. No, it sounds really fun. I like the idea. And it, and it, it seems more of like a hangout sesh rather than totally. like a structured 100%. track day with a millions of run groups and people. And you have to get out this time. It seems. Yeah. And the eventual goal for this type of event is to hit up all of the fun, like historic tracks around the country. So, you know, walking, walking's Glen, definitely Laguna and Sonoma. You do walking's Phoenix too. Walking's cool. Phoenix is great. <laughs> um, but yeah, totally like eventually I want to do, um, where we can't, like everybody can camp at the track. Yeah. Um, like all of that stuff. I'm our, and <laughs> I just love that. You just bought a 55 gallon drum just when you said, yeah, yeah. yeah it's already, it's shipping from Amazon. His, right I was now. wondering why his finger was hovering over exactly. the buy from other now. sellers. Yeah. <laughs> but even, even for this track day, like we're all driving down on Thursday night and I'm trying to arrange for us to be able to use the track as a camping spot for the night mm. so we can camp overnight there. Remind me of the dates again. April 10th. Okay. I'm not invited anyway, it's but Friday. you uh, are invited. I don't have a car. So what? 89 is my BMW. Can you says, hang out though, Warren? You can come, I see what they did there, Can right? you hang out? You come out. What is, what's Wham Z30? Yeah, I don't have yeah, a 70s car either. We'll cut it down to 88. You can both come. Hey, uh, Ollie, let me, let me yes. throw something by you and see what you think of this. Autocross. Yes. With no timing. I'm down. You just set up what the else? cones. But isn't timing the most fun part yeah. of all this? So, no, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Like, no, on. no, I'm listening. Listen, I'm talking. I'm talking about lowest uh, threshold of actually putting on the event. Yeah. All you need is some fucking cones and a big parking lot, airfield, whatever you want to call it, and you set up the course. And maybe you reset it a few times, but there's no corner workers. There's no timing. It's just like you're talking about for fun, right? Like you're not yeah. worried about lap times. So what's the difference? Like, and there's even less cost of entry you don't need a racetrack you need like crow's landing in uh central valley which is a rad spot it's basically like a sebring style race course that you could build without having to deal with all the you know corner workers and safety and stuff i think can can you get away without safety stuff well for autocross i think for it's autocross, not if, that you, big of a if you built a low speed course yeah and then People don't have to work all day long. That's the biggest and shitty so thing about autocrossing is working, Dude, right? And it's like fucking five laps of autocross timing for working. You're at the thing for fucking eight hours. I would argue that for autocross, timing would be fun just so you can say like, oh shit, the fast car's out there, but not like, and it's just like a bragging board or something, yeah. but then you have to work out like, what do we do about down cones? Right. Like, what do we do? Like that's so the thing. And I, you also have to have the timing. You have to have the timing gear, right? You have to, you have to have the little trip people, light at the beginning. People and, can use Harry's lap timer too, I think, or other solutions in car. If you want, I don't think the GPS has the accuracy that you would need for an autocross course. For an autocross course. I mean, all you need is uh, a start and a finish line. 
yeah. the time in between. They have an autocross oh, thing yeah, yeah. on Harry's lap oh, yeah. timer. So as long as you don't care about sector speeds. So and a stuff, timing system is even, not that bad. Okay, so let's say get, you do timing anyways. But I'm, I'm but talking the, about a way to do It's the corner working. The corner working. Basically, set up a racetrack, and there's not elevation change. I realize that. And We just use giant like concrete barriers instead of cones. <laughs> yeah, because that is the thing. You do need someone to pick up cones, dude. Unless like, you have cones that flip up by themselves. Whoa. Or you do like whoa. six cones I don't have out of each corner, so if it does hit one, uh, you, could you do, still have another. You do these, uh, the, the, you know, the used car lots, they have the wavy hands oh. things that are, yeah, you do that at every corner, and so you just run over it, but or, it's just a balloon. how about this so. as a proposal? How about we do like, a day, a festival, like rent marina for the day for yeah. whatever it costs. And you do like the DWA speed festival or, or whatever. Or like morning motors yeah. that turns on. But, then, but yeah, and then yeah. you do registration is like 85 bucks a person or something. And you essentially can just be on track whenever you want. And then we take all of that money and just pay some dudes to like just hire like three. Yeah. Right. Hire people. like three or four people. Yeah. Like even day laborers from like Home Depot, dude from or like, like Task Rabbits, Task Rabbits, Task yeah, and just say you guys stay out here and just put the cones up when they get knocked over, yeah, and we're all gonna be having fun and you can have a beer at the end of the day. Okay, like, I mean I, th- that's whatever you guys just like, figured out. I think is a great idea, like, and we but that'd be cool. At, SCCA, you can do that at the event too, yeah. even because like if SCCA and NASA and not NASA but like American Autocross and all these yeah. guys that run autocrosses. If they raise their price to like 65 bucks. Yeah. Wouldn't everyone pay 15 more dollars to have that? The only reason, the only reason I never go to an auto is because of that. Right. I don't want a corner. Yeah. Yeah. And if they raise the price to like 85 bucks a person instead of whatever, what is it now? Like 45, 45. Yeah. Raise it to 65 and just take that extra 20 bucks per person and hire like how hard is like, okay, eight hours times like six people. And just put them out there and just say, that's your job today. Yeah. Don't, don't even turn you your back that. to any cars and that's all you have yeah. to do. You wouldn't even need that many of them because you're only dealing with knocked over cones. You're not really worried yeah, about like. Exactly. And do the you, lines and stuff. do you have groups or yeah, do you, you just have, to have, have groups? Otherwise just it's just a long line. So much line. Yeah. 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 You'd have groups, but that's, you fine. You could run, you could have three groups and just keep rotating constantly. Yeah. Lane has a question. But. Your track day sounds awesome. Yeah, I think I'm I'm super excited about the track day. Well, I'm and not worried about track. Track day is gonna be great. That's built in. You're going to a racetrack so with cool cars to, and all that. Go to my Instagram feed or Retro Sporting's Instagram feed. Mine's racing underscore Ali or at Retro Sporting. Or hit me up on Facebook or go to Retro Sporting on Facebook and sign up for this track day. Okay. We have we're probably about halfway full, and I think. Uh, once this, you only just announced it. Yeah, we just announced it like less than a week ago. Um, or, and, and I think it's going to get filled up really, really quickly. Uh, yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I think you got a good thing, a good idea. But I think people. the autocross thing is a really great idea too. My point in saying that is just, I'm thinking about the easiest yeah. entry the into, yeah. it's kind of like the lemons thing. It's yeah. like, how can we do this the cheapest and easiest way and still have fun? Especially if you do it at Marina. Right. Exactly. Like, it's like and I don't here. know what that entails, like how much that costs. I know that so Marina, NASA has a special relationship. Marina used to cost $500 a day yeah. to rent. However, Marina just took on a new owner. And so they are changing. Um, there, there's some things changing, but I'm, you know, I'm very, very intimately aware of, of what's happening there. Cause we also rent Marina on my, during my day job to do testing. Yeah. 
So, and, and also you don't need a racetrack to do what we're describing. We're talking about an airport at Marina yeah. and the other airport in Crow's Landing is an old NASA facility that hasn't been used in a million years, but they do the national autocross tour comes through there and they set up this awesome track yep. I mean, it's a huge course. So you can get pretty big speeds and we could even do like a, um, a solo two kind of a thing where you have like What's mirror, that? mirror tracks uh, yeah. where they do like the national competitions. They basically, the paddock or the, the runway is wide enough or big enough to where you basically do the same track mirrored and then you could do head to head racing, which is, Oh, rad. that's cool. It's super rad. Yeah. 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 So it's like split screen Mario Kart. Yeah. Exactly. We obviously need facilities, and stuff, champions. but it, it broadens your venues a great deal. Yeah. Totally. Because I think, but for something like that, I would love to open it up to kind of anything. And that would actually be really cool for autocross because that's one of those places where like you feel, I guess there's the clubs that do it and that's not, but a lot of the autocross stuff is like you have the autocross nerds and they're like, they have tire warmers and stuff and it's a Dude, little can bit. Can you imagine like, like if you did a DWA, let's, let's dream a little bit and say, let's do a joint retro sporting and DWA autocross and you pay 85 bucks or 65 bucks no corn, no course working. I, that shit would get sold out. Oh, it'd be day. so fun. Yeah. yeah. It would get sold out in a day. Yeah. You could also start it off as like a morning motors where people could yeah. not necessarily want to run their car, but you just don't have to run your car and hang out to start with. And then people start, you know, yeah. blazing through. Yeah. I remember like in the nineties when I used to autocross a lot, um, and compete that like at Mather field or McClellan, like in the Sacramento region, um, there were plenty of people that would just show up to hang out because yeah. it's like convenient and close and oh, fun. Totally. Yeah. It's um, a good way to see cars going fast. Yeah. Close, Remember when they know? used to run them at Candlestick and at, um, and uh, Oracle, dude, like, or sorry, the Oakland Coliseum. Terrible quality of the asphalt. Yeah. The, so the, all the transitions and go from like asphalt to concrete gravel, to basically. gravel. Yeah. But it was such a fun scene. Yeah. Like it was such a fun scene. Well, my friends, uh, who work at Lockheed, they have a private, uh, sports car group and they do a, a little autocross at, at Lockheed. Oh, it's right. very basic in a parking lot, but, um, it just shows you, you don't need that much to have right. like a lot of yeah, fun, right. you know? So we, we can talk about that. This, we'll I think talk about offline, offline. Yeah. Like a good 2020 goal. Um, I watched the apex, the secret race across America. Oh yeah. I, I want to see that. It was cool. It's all, it's so it's Alex Roy's, yeah. you know, quest to beat the, record um cannonball, of a so. cannonball record and what did uh, it turned into I don't know, whatever it turned the the express um something express right you watched in the, the early 80s i watched the movie but everyone has knowledge of this <laughs> um but anyways um yeah east to west coast and it was basically like that and then it's cool the film's kind of cool cuz they've been waiting basically to bring it out it was 10, 10 years ago or so. Uh, and they basically couldn't, couldn't bring out this film. Yeah, yeah. And they finally were able to bring it out. And, and yeah, it has a lot of, has a lot of cool. I mean, they were definitely yeah. documenting the whole thing in car. They had the hello, they had the airplane flying over. This that was, is in his E39. This is E39 M5. Um, it has the, hel- the airplane following overhead and them talking back and forth with them. Oh, wow. Um, it has a, couple like a you know a couple scenes where like the cops like they get called in by truckers and 
they're basically fucked and they're just freaking out in the car. And he's like, dude, my heart's pounding. Like, you know, and they go by, there's two cops in, uh, I could give this away, but the two cops are in the in the center divider and he's just alongside of a truck, you know, just hoping he won't see him. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and, and there's, there's some cool Drama. little parts like that. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of like old school stuff. So, um, from like 1983, and 82, like the early 80s, um, when the two guys in the Ferrari, like, beat the record, that was the, that was the record that Alex beat in the Ferrari 308. And they came in and admitted several years later that they had used an airplane. Uh, and all this stuff, like, that's how they had got it done. Um, huh. so and then the history, like, didn't Richard Rollins, the guy from Gas Monkey Girl, yeah. didn't he claim? He did. He claim that was it? after, right? Like, I think it was after. Yeah. And then Ed Bullion. Yeah, beat, like he beat Alex, and then like some that. guys just just beat him like in a, a month yeah, so, ago. Um, a couple of close friends of mine, Alan Wu and Bill Wu. Um, oh yeah, those guys—they're like they wild ran it a few times. Yeah, yeah, and they did it first in that. Um, they were the first to run that like black and white technical camouflage Lamborghini Aventador. Mm. They ran it, and then um, a couple of years later, they got a uh, like a Hemi Charger or something. Made it look like a cop car, but it had like everything <laughs> in it. And I was able to do like a short leg with them. It was, dude, you it were was in like, the car. It was like during their attempt. It was, uh, no. So this was after the attempt. They had like a wind down party in the Bay Area. And I did like a little run like through the Bay Area with them. Yeah. But they showed me all the stuff. Like it was the first time I ever saw a FLIR camera like being used outside of a scientific thing. So they had it set up to where they could shut all the lights down a switch. And so that's shut thermal, all the lights right? down on thermal everything. Cam? And then they turn on the FLIR thermal cameras, the infrared cameras, and they could see everything. And they had it like set up in the in the sun visor and like that is dude, so it was freaking insane. cool. Multiple radar jammers, multiple radio jammers. So they could jam other people's radios, like they could do all kinds of crazy stuff. You have to have so much technical knowledge to run all this stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, just to be able to inst- like to buy it and know what you want, and there's yeah. no like it's I mean, crazy. I, we, we have trouble figuring out just getting regular radios to talk to each other. <laughs> I know. So well, to go to the is... next level, <laughs> oh dude, yeah, like getting doing all this jamming and when to also do what? Like, and... it's a lot of work to basically just break the law. You know, like yeah, it's gnarly, dude. The whole time you're sixty gallon fuel tanks in yeah. the trunk with like secondary pumps. And, I think like, the average like... speed of I, I know the the speed of the Ferrari was like eighty nine point eight or something so like that was the average. Average, and then so Alex's average was like ninety three point something. Yeah, right? put that like, in perspective. Like the next time you drive from like you go on a road trip, yeah, just check your trip meter for yeah. average speed. It's It'll like be like forty, 40 yeah, 30 40, miles yeah. An hour yeah, or like fifty maybe. Yeah. yeah, and trying to change that. Is insane. Exactly. You drive oh, yeah. for 80 miles an hour for like an hour yeah. and it barely changes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're talking about. Like you, you know, you lose whatever you pull over, you have trouble and you lose the minutes. You have to, to get to your 80 mile per hour, Back 90, yeah. you have to go a hundred and a hundred and ninety to catch, you know, to, to I match think, that. And you're never going to do that. I think mm-hmm. Rami needs to try to beat this in his GT2 RS. Oh, I, I agree. Rami should definitely try. Yeah, but it was a, it was a, it was definitely a fun watch. And, what, how'd you watch it? What's uh, it's on iTunes, but you have to buy it. It's like twelve bucks or something oh, okay. like that. 
Um, yeah, but it's cool to watch, and the historic footage was really cool too. So, it'll, so it's the U.S. Express is the one that mm. was after the Cannonball, mm-hmm. and you know the Cannonball was formed by um, Brock, uh, Yates. Brock Yates and all them, and and is really cool because they have a lot of stuff at the garage. The Portofino is that the Portofino or is that the one in? Portofino is down south, but yeah, it's Portofino's the Red Ball or the I don't know Red Ball Garage or whatever in on the East Coast in New York, and it's like all the cars coming in. It's like nine twenty eights and nine elevens and Lotus Esprits and so like rad. a lot of cool, just old footage. And they have like you know like the Ferrari that had the record before had like four um, ten inch driving lights mounted to the front. So they could see like two miles down the road, basically light up two miles down the road and, uh, Holy just, drag. just really, really cool old footage. And then interviews of those guys now talking about it. And cool. Yeah. It was really neat. Sounds like a well-made um, film. Talking about the, the guy that did it on the motorcycle, which is nuts. Oh my God. And he did it a couple of times. What a psycho. I saw what the was first, what's like, the record? How many hours is it? 26 hours? Uh, so he, straight in the saddle for fucking. He was hours. like 30 or 20 or 30. I forget, dude. The, the cool story I read when he first did it was that they Which attempted one, the, it. The Alex motorcycle? Roy. No, oh. no. Uh, yeah, you're talking about motorcycle. Yeah, That's yeah. crazy, right? Um, no, but Alex Roy, they, they attempted it and they got to Ohio and there was some crazy construction that they didn't know about or basically there was a traffic jam and they called off the attempt. So that he drove from New York to Ohio and was like, eh, fuck it. Let's go back. Well, it's like playing a video game. You're yeah, like, yeah. oh, well, I can't okay. do it now. And there's, now. there's one point, awesome. it might be the one you're talking about, but he goes to a toll and he gives the $5 or whatever. And he's like, thanks. And then he goes to take off and the car's like stumbling. Yeah. And they I have to pull over and the guys in the plane are like, oh man, I'm so sorry, Alex. Like this so sucks. Oh man. Is so sorry. Oh my God. I could say that it like, if I did that and I got stuck in Ohio in like a traffic jam or something, yeah. I would still finish, but I would just time the segment to make sure that I could keep my pace, uh, like hmm. keep going just as I could, yeah. you know, like I think it's the risk though. There. It's the risk that you're, you're basically doing these insane yeah, speeds I guess that's for, true. What, for no reason, for what right. point. Right. Right. And it kind of goes behind and they talk about the theory of like how, what's the best way to do it and like how you attempt it. And interesting, you know, the, the one thing was like, um, I think it was the guys in the Ferrari called it the one fifty. what would they call it? The one fifty fifty five zero. What? That's how you accomplish it. So you go one fifty five. You go as basically as fast as you can, or it's 150 or whatever the top speed is of the Ferrari without the top speed it can go without overheating and like sustaining a speed. And then it's legal speed limit when you have to, because you're going to be in around coughs and all this mm-hmm. stuff and traffic. And then it's zero is when you pull over to get gas, things like that. So those are the three speeds you, you ever go. What's that one that was in Europe in like the mid nineties? That one, remember the Brabus EV12 won it one year with that um, oh, Russian yeah. driver? Yeah. Remember the EV12? That was such a rad so car. Sorry. I don't even know what that That's is. That's the kind of car I would do. It, it was with, a W210, yeah. but with like a race version of the V12 engine from Mercedes. Yep. And hmm. it, the signature was that it looked just like a normal 210, but it, was but it had these small. really rad little angle cut. Uh, exhaust tips that came out of the back. And that was the only, other than the Brabus wheels, that was the only way you could tell. It so was good. so sick. But That's that, cool. That won the European one a couple of years. Like, yeah. do you think it's going to motivate people to try it? Well, they've already broken it a few times since. Well, this guy, but I'm saying these guys just broke it all of these a, a month ago or three weeks ago. Yeah. And they yeah. killed it. Like, I forget, I don't know what the record is now, but like, yeah, exactly. These madmen. 
I don't, was I don't know, dude. I watch because right? it's hard for me to know what people think, but I watch that stuff. I'm like, why? why? Yeah. It, it seems crazy to me. Like, right. I just don't see the fun in staying up that long for one. Like, I'm out <laughs> right there, right? Like, risk reward for cause, me is. Because a lot of it is not. fatigue and stuff. It's like, yeah. it's not just the fact that you can go that fast and not get pulled over, you know, like, not try not to get pulled over, try not to crash, try not to have problems. But then you're also dealing with staying up for 30, 30 hours, like with no sleep and trying. And it's more than nuts. 30 hours because it's like, before, oh, yeah. you oh, know, you're getting to there and, and then you don't like wake up out of bed and start. And right? imagine how much sleep you're getting the night before. Right. Like imagine trying right. to sleep, dude. And then what you're going to take pills or something. And I mean, and all the just unknowns of the road. Yeah. Like, I ha- I find and it weather hard to like push myself to go fast yeah. on rallies or whatever. At least on a track, like if you're off, you're gonna hit a wall or you're gonna go into the runoff and it's gonna be over. Yeah, and it's gonna be you. Yeah, and it's gonna be you, and you're not gonna get hit by a truck coming the right. opposite direction. And if you deer watch out or whatever. One yeah. thing, the Alex's their car was really cool. Like all everything inside was marked Storm Chaser, so it was like Storm Chaser one, and it's like. It's like the storm, it's like storm watch and everything was labeled with like a label maker, like storm stuff. So they were like storm chasers. Right. So if a cop pulled them over, they look in and they go, Oh, these guys are storm chasers. Did it say Polizei on the side? No, it didn't. It just had the the white, it had two white bars on the roof so the airplane could see them. Oh. I, I got a ride in that car at Laguna Seca. Oh, nice. Cause I went with Colin, Colin yeah. and we, cause he did, uh, or he was supposed to race at Laguna in one of the TRG Porsche Cup cars, like the 997 or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and he, Alex like broke his leg or something, so uh. couldn't do it. But, uh, we went to check it out and he's buddies with them. And so we got a ride into the pits in it. And it was like, all, you know, it was totally, it wasn't like race in, in air quotes ready, but it, he had like freaking all the yeah, stuff yeah. on the window, like all the, yeah, all the antennas on the back and stuff, all the apps going. Radwood Philly. We met him. Oh, nice. Him yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something like worth, it's worth watching. It's like, yeah, it sounds good. I mean, it's just another car video and it's cool yeah. and it's a, it's an actual movie and they did really, it's all found, you know, it's all old footage using old footage and stuff. And That's then super cool. Some new interviews and stuff, but yeah, really well done. Um, and it's a, it's, um, you know, JF Musial who does all drive the, he used to do all the drive stuff and yeah. all that. He's the one that did it and everything. So it's a apex. So it, yeah, it's Apex, the secret race across America. Yeah. And they had that Apex building the supercar or whatever, that one. Did you guys see that a while no. ago? Yeah, no. I saw that one. Yeah. That one was pretty good. Yeah. Oh. Was it about yeah. Koenigsegg or something? It was about, it was mainly Koenigsegg and then it was like. There was the, a couple of other. It was a LaFerrari and the nine, or seven, seven, eight, or what's 18? it called? 918. And, yeah. And that was uh, on, McLaren. That's on Netflix, I think. Yeah. It's, it's uh, available now for free. Yeah. Oh. Since we have Ollie here, I wanted to check in just for a moment and uh, discuss self-driving cars. All right. So Ollie works uh, at a company called Zooks. That's Z-O-O-X. And you are producing what? Um, we are producing a complete ground-up self-driving car. How many um, steering wheels? Zero. Okay. And more important, I would have been more interested if you said two. How many brake pedals? <laughs> Zero. Yeah. Um, uh, but most importantly, it's not just the vehicle and it's not just the sensors and it's not just the software. It's the entire 
infrastructure and ecosystem around it. So how do we ensure safety? How do we remotely operate the vehicle in case of an emergency? How do we um, manage the customer experience? Uh, how do we distribute the vehicles to where they're needed? Um, charging, you know, all of the other kind of operational things, which is that, that kind of like stereotypical last 5%. Um, so we're, we're basically thinking of all of those things up front. So the goal for us, and I think Colin, uh, asked this question, um, is, is kind of what's the biggest automotive trend in 2020 in the, in the next 10 years. And it's going to be, I think the proliferation of, of EVs and self-driving. So you think, what's your timeline for vehicles on the road with no drivers, um, in our lifetime? Yes. So in the next 10 years? Yes. Really? Yeah. A lot of people who don't think that's happening. Well, what do you mean? Do you mean mean like a a, a good amount of them? Because I mean, they're out there right now. No, but they're not out there alone. There's someone in the driver's seat. And yeah. able to hit the button. That's and right. Take control. There Any always moment. is. I, I there's no car the without a steering wheel. Well, there's there are some I mean, exceptions in Chandler where they're doing some tests. Chandler is on that. Right. Where they're right. doing some tests on you know basically driven cars, so minivans or SUVs uh, that that normally would have a driver driving around without a driver. So those are fine, and those are just tests and experiments. Um, what we're going for is essentially what we believe the future of what I'll call non-fun mobility. So commuting and all of the, the Uber ride types of things. So, um, you know, I think how people define level five is a little bit of a false definition because no matter what, when you have a computer or a robot driving you around, you need to put some kind of geofence or some kind of controls around that. There's no way that, a robot can uh, can act in an unconstrained environment, um, <clears throat> and so essentially, what we plan to launch will be a point to point service that you can hail a vehicle in, let's say, the mission in San Francisco, and have you have it take you to the airport or to Fisherman's Wharf or wherever you want to go within a kind of reasonable area. And that area is defined usually by things like the range of the vehicle or more importantly, the business case. Does it make sense for me to take somebody without a driver from San Francisco to Santa Cruz? Not, not usually. So, um, it's really going to be the business case and the safety case that control a lot of how these vehicles operate. And you're, you're thrown out in the next 10 years. Yeah. So we will have, um, I can't really say exactly when, but within, Within the next couple of years, we will have vehicles driving. We currently do in controlled environments, but in, in open public environments, we will have no steering wheel vehicles, you know, robots driving, um, uh, the public around. Um, so you can, like dress a robot up and stuff. Oh, like those, uh, total recall cab yeah. drivers. The car is the robot. The car is the uh, robot. You can dress the car up. You could do whatever. As a person. You could, yeah. you could attempt to do whatever you want. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, the, in uh, the short thing that I'll say about this whole like self-driving thing and, and I hear a lot of people talking about it that, well, uh, a lot of people hate on the Tesla, uh, claims that, so the Tesla claims are all like BS autopilot in, in my opinion. Stuff. I think, yeah. you know, I think their self-driving or their kind of advanced, um, advanced cruise control system is currently the best in the world. 
not necessarily because it's the safest. I don't think it is the safest, but, uh, it is the, it's the highest performing self quote unquote self driving feature in any car in the world because Tesla is willing to push the envelope on safety farther than anybody else. Yeah. Cause yeah. And so, um, you know, well, and don't they have a great strategy for gathering data and machine learning? Like sure. they have, they have so many car, they have way more cars in the field and every, is it true that every Tesla out there is, ba- you know, after a certain year probably is basically gathering data for their machine learning system for, for, uh, you know, anything, the, any self-driving that they're doing in the future. Theoretically, yes. And so the reason I say theoretically is because there is a lot of that data that needs to be, that should be thrown away mm-hmm. or that is unusable, mainly, you know. <laughs> Rain, snow, fog, you know, mm. uh, steam from, from, uh, um, manhole covers and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but, but as far as compared to any other yes, person absolutely. trying to so gather data, if they have at, these things exactly. out there. So if we look at, and the re, this is the reason Tesla is such a competitor in this space is because there are so many miles driven, quote unquote, self driving in the Tesla vehicles and they can feed all of that data into their machine learning algorithms. And that's why they're able to, perform to the level that they are with just cameras and radar and, and things like sonar. <clears throat> but ultimately, um, to ensure, but you could say that's what you're saying about pushing the boundaries. They're willing to do that where other manufacturers haven't been able to. And that's also been those risks. That's also been said with Tesla about pushing battery. That's right. I was ba- risking that. battery life for performance. And therefore, like other companies aren't willing to do that because they know that they have warranty claims and that's right. They're, they're more into building. They're, they're used to making cars. Mercedes wants and Porsche and all of these, yeah. these kind of, um, incumbents or, or the, the, the more kind of the people that have been around for, for longer in this industry really want to make sure that from day one to 10 years down the road, you have similar levels of performance and reliability and safety and all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, Tesla's current philosophy is, is not necessarily looking that far ahead. So they're, they're willing to make a little bit of compromises today to, so if you look at the Taycan's battery capacity, which is I think right around 90 kilowatt hours, um, they're, and, but their EPA mileage rating is 200 miles where a 85 kilowatt hour Tesla battery pack was, I think above 300 miles. And it's not because, you know, of course there are differences in battery chemistry in the way that the battery is architected, um, for power versus, um, uh, energy, but you know, where if you look at a battery pack that you will never see a battery pack actually discharged to zero or charged to a hundred percent. It's usually the ideal is don't get below 20% and don't get above 80%. But Tesla will go down to 10, 12, 15% and go up to 80, 85, 90%. Yeah. And, you know, they're willing to take that marginal safety hit and that slight degradation hit to be able to say that, look at how much more mm-hmm. miles I got out of, out of my pack. So, um, but, and know. maybe that, you know, maybe that, so you could see that as just kind of a risky move, but then maybe you would also want to, uh, include the fact that they're building it as a strategy, like to be able to swap batteries and stuff that could be, you know, maybe the battery is an, ex- uh, uh, 
a consumable where other companies think, might not be. I think Tesla is that. treating the entire vehicle as a consumable. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, because I don't know where the because the battery swap out idea I don't think is actually real anymore. <laughs> no, right? it's, it's but they're gonna that. do that. But it's, but then that go kind of goes against the environmental, like yeah, part of it. Because all. I mean, well, Tesla's answer to that, which I think is is pretty good, is you know once once a Tesla battery pack reaches less than eighty percent then it's technically kind of expired, but you still have 80% capacity or let's say worst case 70% or 60% capacity in that battery pack that can be used for stationary storage. So early on, very, very early on, the thought was, what do we do with all these extra roadster batteries when they're expired is, um, and that philosophy carries on to model S, which is you can either just take the pack out and use it for stationary storage or take the pack apart and repackage the modules into a power wall or into something like that. And so there the uh, charge and discharge cycles are much more gentle than in an, in an automobile. So you can write out that last 70% of capacity mm. for many, many mm-hmm. years um, because you're just charging and discharging at very low rates and you're not discharging down to near zero and you're not, you know, always charging up to a hundred percent capacity. So um, that, that's what their kind of response is to how do you, how do you get rid of all these old batteries? So we're getting down the rabbit hole of electric, but I like where you're going with it, Warren, which is the self-driving bit. And I don't know if we fully got what we wanted out of Ali yet, well, but yeah, know. it's year 2020, right? This thing is like, we're like right on the cusp of the self-driving. And I don't know, like for me personally, when you're bringing up that question, like I'm very curious too, because it's like, what, what is it? How is the landscape going to change in 10 years? And what does it mean for enthusiasts? Kind so, of? And it's like, well, I like, we, how do we you answer that? I like what Ali's kind of saying. It's like, he's basically saying, you're saying Zoox at least is looking at it as like a replacement for Uber essentially right. or, yeah. or just like, this is, or, or taking a train to work. It's like, right. we don't have exactly. a train system that it's, really it's is good. It's basically so. a distributed public transportation system. Yeah. And you know, the, the, I have a, a, you know, a personal philosophy and I, and I believe that the entire industry is going to converge into this over the next five years where basically five years self-driving is essentially going to be broken up into two industries. One is full self-driving, mobility as a service, whether it's moving people or packages or whatever. Um, and that's generally what I'm working on. Uh, the other side of this, which is where this like kind of gray area of a lot of these other car or uh, self-driving companies, including car companies are working on, um, is essentially autonomy as a option for a vehicle. So if you go buy your next E-Class, you pay 2500 bucks for the autonomy package. And eventually it will be very, very good. It is good now. It's decent now. It will be better. And then it will be extremely good, almost to the point to where you can let go. But I don't think it'll get there. And I think what the ultimate aim will be for that type of autonomy is to essentially try to make a vehicle uncrashable. Um, and we already kind of see some of this stuff with the crappy lane keeping, but just like early crappy traction control that nobody ever wanted to use. But if you use traction control in a new 911, you're like, this is great. It's perfect. Right? Yeah. And so eventually that stuff will get even better and it will hopefully start making cars less able to crash into other things. And I think that is going to be a huge industry of a whole new series of tier one suppliers, just like Bosch sells ABS systems to Daimler and to all of these other companies, these other new self-driving companies will sell a self-driving and sensor package that integrates into the current vehicle control system and CAN bus. 
of any of the new cars that are coming out. So I think that's a big part of the industry. And then a subset, which I'm most excited about is you take that technology and then you pare it down into pure performance. And now I can see a scenario where Ferrari or McLaren or Porsche will adopt self-driving. Yes. To make it kind of uncrashable and stuff like that. But now you have an AI virtual driver's coach so that you can imagine a heads up display with my ideal track line and as I start driving and as I start getting better, the assistance will with, with, um, withdraw, you know, with, with start to pull back a little bit. Mm-hmm. It'll let you make some mistakes, it'll let you learn from your mistakes, but using the AI, um, and using the vehicle sensors and the self-driving, the, the ability to perceive the perception system, the avil- ability to perceive its environment, especially on a track to say that like, I did this, I drove this self-driving GT3 around the track for the last year, and now I can drive with essentially no assistance, and I can push myself, and I can do so much more, and it basically helps you gain confidence, but it's kind of like, it's essentially like having a very good driver's coach in the passenger seat with their own set of pedals and brakes. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that's what, and that's kind of what traction controls become. That's right. To a certain extent already, where like... But right you know, now, I know a like 911 will let you get sideways, but it yeah. won't let you go too much. Yeah, you know, like get too much angle. McLaren, you can. There's the the drift dial where you <laughs> can like kind of drift it, you know, dial it up, and a lot of new cars have. Yeah. But imagine, um, imagine being able to, you know, have like a full driver's coach that can sit with you and and teach you. Yeah. It's you know, it, it, I think it would be super super. I, I like your theories on it because I think the the most dangerous part of it right now is that. People can be driving this car and they, and yeah. Tesla sells it as, I forget what they call autopilot. it. Autopilot. Yeah, autopilot. autopilot, which is not autopilot. So people are like, oh, it has autopilot. So therefore I don't have to pay attention, but it's really there. No, it should even, be there as a safety net kind of thing. Even back in 2010, when a lot of this stuff started to just be like ideas that people were talking about in the industry, um, I, I always told, you know, people that would, that I was talking to and I said that the the most dangerous part of this entire equation is that moment where the car needs you to pay attention and you cannot pay attention. Yeah. And you have to, you can't just, you're not reacting. You're taking your hands off your hamburger eating and you're having, you know, like you have to do way more. You have to go from that transition from like automated driving to a human getting back into the loop. Yeah. The problem It's the problem. Mm -hmm. That is fundamentally the problem. So if you're going to let me let go of the steering wheel, Allow me to like climb into the back seat. Like, yeah. let's go all the way. Yeah, for sure. Otherwise, I'm going to drive. Active cruise control is amazing. I use it, it is. every single day. Even some of the steering stuff is pretty cool. But because every 30 seconds, the thing asks me to touch the steering wheel again, like, okay, I'm just going to turn that off. I'm going to drive. You take care of the throttle and the brake pedal, and I'm just going to cruise. Yeah. And it's great. But you did hear, I'm sure you heard the podcast where we were talking about the X6M, where I was driving along highway yeah. one and there was a bicyclist yeah. and it swerved it and slammed the brakes yep. and it didn't need to do that. And if there was anyone behind me, they would have hit me because it wasn't, it was aggressive enough. Yeah. In, uh, in my Mercedes, anytime somebody's splitting lanes or there's some weird situation, I just tap my brakes. I turn off the system and I just grab the steering wheel and I drive because yeah. you know, but it's I'm gonna, paying attention like, because you know, it's going to try to do something. Cause I know enough about the system weird, to say right? like the, the perception system. You, gonna you're obviously confused. a very alert, you know, uh, yeah. sensitive driver. And there's many people who are driving these cars that aren't no that way. And, no way. Yeah. Like how many, like I see it every single day where somebody's self-driving their model three or model S or something else. Yep. And they're not paying attention at all. Like not 
at all. Yeah. On Christmas, my brother-in-law showed me a picture they took like two days before at Elkhorn. Is that Elkhorn Slough down in Moss Landing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a Tesla Model S just in there, in the <laughs> in water. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm guessing, so, I'm guessing something happened. Yeah. Redirecting. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was just going to say, we'll wrap this up, but um, I will be shocked if five years anything changes. I'll okay. be surprised if 10 years anything has changed. I will invite you to the launch party. Okay. Well, fine okay. We're going to say a third thing. That's, that's about it. Okay. So, uh, what, how do you see the two car solution or a regular family living in the suburbs? How do you think their, uh, car quiver is going to change in the next 10 years? And I, I just want to highlight that it sounds like the two points, the two major changes that you brought up were one, these car shuttles, Duke style. Like, so the question is, is the business model going to get to a point where it makes sense to be using that from the suburbs to work? And then the other thing you mentioned was suggesting maybe like a very almost like non-event to getting to autonomy and all that is just this autonomy add on, which is there, there would be no change to the car quiver. Just the next car that you buy is probably going to have that option. And then, uh, but things are going to be the same. So I, I think based on the, difficulty of industrialization and kind of proliferation of this like quote unquote level five full self-driving um, meaning like if let's say for example, we turn the switch on and we're able to self-drive today in San Francisco, by the time we get to San Francisco, LA, Seattle, Chicago, like name your city, it's going to be many years. Right. And I think that's what you're getting to Warren is that it's not going to be like a light switch where everything turns on. Right. Well, some neighborhoods in San Francisco are going to get it and then other neighborhoods and then, and then Seattle's going to get it. And then London and London and all of this. And then yeah, like yeah, five years from now, maybe San Jose will get it right. Where like, it's basically market based. And in that case, you're a hundred percent right. We will have self-driving in some areas, but to have like full, like penetration of that will take 20, yeah, so you're saying like right. Brian who commutes from Santa Cruz to over the hill and maybe goes on little trips to the store and stuff. He'll yeah. still basically have the same thing he has now, but he might have but an, like, a newer electric car yeah, or something. Yeah, but like, right? Right. like example, my Jeep Grand Cherokee would have autonomy option. And would, and would probably be full electric, If I right? lived in San Francisco yeah. and work in San Francisco, which many, many people do. But, I mean, we're talking like people in cities... Yeah, population-wise, it's so way more suburbs. The right? money and right now in this entire industry is in the cities. Cities to to play around in suburbs is just basically having fun to really do the hard work. Well, it's way more work, right? Because right. you're you're in a- and that's why we at, at Zooks took on the, one of the hardest cities in the world first. Um, Which is what? San Francisco. San Francisco. Well, it's also really close to where you are. Well, yeah, but <laughs> it's still, it's there, right? fortunately, it's very, it's a very yeah, yeah, difficult yeah. city. Like you ca- you have to imagine like things that you don't think about hills. How hard is it for us to look over the hood of our vehicle <laughs> for sure to see what's on the other side of the hill? Now we have many cameras and sensors that also have to see all of that stuff. So just the fact of like looking up a hill, imagine you, your windshield stopped a third of the way down and you couldn't look up and you're at the base of a hill. What do you do? So that's a lot of these challenges that we have to overcome. But 
we will have within the next couple of years self-driving vehicles in small controlled areas. Mm -hmm. But some of these small controlled areas will be very effective for many people. So if you live in San Francisco and you work in San Francisco, you can totally eliminate your daily driver and keep one fun. So, you know, keep yourself an old 911 or whatever in the garage and just use that. If, to go to the airport. To go to the airport to the, or yeah. whatever. And eventually, uh, our vehicles will be able to, to do airport and, runs. And a drive like down that. the coast to Santa yeah, Cruz will still exactly. be a drive down the coast to Santa That's Cruz. Right. Like, what you, you're not gonna. What are your contingencies for the anarchists? That damage vehicles? That are going to be completely against this whole technology, robots taking over and ruining everything you guys Warren's leading guys the, that. He's leading the pack, that. actually. I mean, that's I mean, I'm sure it's a real thing. Like it's, it's, it's probably a it's, discussion. It's a so I know after that person got killed in Gilbert, uh, in Chandler was, or Chandler, yeah, that there were people that were basically like you know throwing rocks and and doing things to these cars that were fine. They weren't doing anything wrong, but it's it was ultimately the backlash, an education right? thing, right? So yeah. this is a social thing. It's not a technical thing. No, we're, no, it's totally we're really really focused on. We're really focused on proving a unquestionable level of safety. And when we can prove an un, like that's got to be the hardest thing. It is. To do. It is. I, it let is me I'll add biggest, a suggestion. I can tell you right now within the company. Um, it is a very solvable thing, but the hardest challenge that any self-driving company in the world has is ensuring safety that we call it the safety case, making sure that safety is top priority and is, as measurable is quantifiable, like all of those, like making sure that we can ensure that. So once we're able to, we will not launch until we are able to ensure that we will be safe in the areas yeah. and the circumstances in which yeah. we launch. And they once need to we, build your brand on and that. One, yeah. Exactly. And that, that is what we will leverage to educate people. Yep. It's so it's almost like you could use the anarchist for your purpose. It's like, yeah. Hey, come out with your axes and your pitchforks yeah. and try to mess with it and see right. what happens. Yeah. Like you'll see that this is the safest thing ever. And maybe right. I suggest one idea, do a marketing campaign where you have nice Easter egg colors and you have a face on the car and you just say hi, hi. like a like neon one. Maybe you could so, license it from Dodge. Yes. We two will things, not do that. Two things <laughs> about this. I know we're going to, we could talk about this for a long time. Uh, one is that I'm very sad that these will be around here because they will be the worst drivers to be around. They'll be the safest, slowest, cautious, fucking horrible drivers. <laughs> you can, can imagine. imagine. Can as, imagine as, a passenger, right? as a passenger in these vehicles, I can tell you they will not be the worst vehicles to be around. Okay. Guarantee Maybe that. not. But they will be doing like incredibly slow approaches to stops, full stops. You know what I mean? No, like, no, no. We, we, we program, this, you should see some of our driving. Bill California stop. We do, we do, <laughs> we, we, we drive, you need, to, in order for a robot to be able to function through a city like San Francisco, it has to be aggressive. Aggressive. And we are, I would, I don't okay. want to put a number around it, but we are more aggressive than a, decent majority of the normal drivers okay. that are around. That's great to hear. Second, like nose into intersections, like creeping forward to tell pedestrians you're not coming. I'm, I'm going like okay. all of those. Crazy okay. things. I mean, that's one thing we that's talked cool. about Yeah, where there was lines of people in a downtown yeah. place if and you're walking across the street and you're like cab drivers, they have to just push their way out. Yeah. yeah. There are many variables like that. So we, and we have ways of communicating audibly and visually to people outside the vehicle and we're aggressive. Trust Watch me. out fucker. I'm yeah. coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second is that if I'm going to get in this Title vehicle, of the podcast, I yeah. want it to be as safe 
and like cosseting inside as for possible. sure. Like I want the gnarliest craft yeah. structure, like borderline yeah. roll cage. Because monocoque, I'm just like full carbon monocoque. I want to be able to survive a fucking semi truck hitting this thing and rolling and like walking out. That's what I'm looking for. A lot of the, a lot of the really crazy safety innovations that you saw come out in the smart car. Yep. That level of innovation will be here. Yeah. We will, you know, we can, we can do, we have vehicles that we're, we're already, through a lot of the homologation process and, and things like that. And we will be able to, I can't say too much. It's, it's very, very positive. And it looks like it's, a pyramid, right? Like the Cybertruck. It's the same. It's just one big teepee. It's just it? the tailgate section of the Cybertruck. It's a teepee. It's That's just the tailgate. We didn't want to have any broken glass. So we're just doing the tail. The, it's a teepee with, on casters. That's it right. It spins around and it's ambidextrous yeah. and am, you know, yeah, it's I want okay. simple doors to pooey. No flip up doors or anything. It's cloth. No. I don't want to be stuck in it. Fabric doors. It, it has, Air suspension and like hydraulic, so it'll jump over the, the oh sweet tapui just lands on your head, nice. and then you wear it like a dunce cap around. That's but, cool. All right, yeah, this has been driving awesome. Talks about. I, <laughs> I, about I, I gotta say one thing I'll, I'll close with is that I've seen a lot of vehicle development work in my career, um, and I've seen a lot of crash stuff, and I have not yet been more impressed with what I'm seeing with our crash and homologation process. Uh, than with what we're doing now. It good. is, it is really impressive. Yeah. Good. It's gotta be. Yeah. Because yeah, there's the risk that this thing just we, drives off a cliff. <laughs> we understand yeah. that like in the order of like top 10 important things for us to get right. Yeah. One through nine is safety. It's big. One through <laughs> nine is one. safety. And then number 10 is, is user experience. Yeah. So, um, I, I tell myself and we all tell ourselves within the company, until we are ready to put our small children in this vehicle and have them take those small children to the grocery store or to school or whatever, we're not going to stop. Yeah. So cool. Well, thank you. Yes. For thank that. You. I think it's time for a little trivia. What do you guys think? It's trivia time. Um, what's the highest, uh, elevation any of you guys have been? I'm just curious on a personal note. Dude, I have no idea. I'm like just over 14. 14? Yeah. Where was that? Yeah. Whoa. Um, Peru. Oh, nice. Yeah. On the Machu Picchu thing. Yeah. That, that thing. The Machu Picchu thing. I've What's the of name of the, the Inca Trail? Inca Trail. Yeah. yeah. Shit was gnarly. Yeah. Uh, Ali? Uh, I think Haleakala. Oh, yeah. I think that's like 10 or 12 or something. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I don't remember, but the summit at Whistler... It's probably close to that. It's pretty close to Kirkwood's that as well. Summit is ten, I think. Yeah, I think Whistler's like around twelve, mm -hmm. or I don't remember, but somewhere around that. Lane, well, I've been on the Kirkwood Summit, so okay, ten-ish. Yeah. The question for you today is: What is the deepest place in the ocean? Oh. Marianas Trench. That's right, the Marianas Trench or the Mariana Trench. Ah, and uh, they're both both are correct. There's a spot called Challenger Deep. Any, this is the trivia. Put your ass to sleep. That was my nickname in high school. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> Challenger. Challenger deep. I know the deep part, but. Challenger deep. Challenger. Yeah. Okay. So I was Charger deep. Yeah. Nice. 
<laughs> I was a Hellcat deep, but it's no big deal. <laughs> and Brian was demon deep. <laughs> um, so the highest uh, point in the world is uh, Mount Everest, which is 26,000, I think. Uh, like so I've been oh, at 19.3. Dang. Oh, we forgot Mount that. Kilimanjaro. Holy, Holy shit. Moly. And it fucks you up for sure. You can be the fittest, best fucking athlete in the world. And it, if your body isn't ready yeah. for altitude or isn't. Dude, uh, even the top of Haleakala, like after like 20 minutes up there, you're like, so you feel breath. like, yes. Oh, yeah, Irie? Weird. Irie. Irie. <laughs> Yeah, your your brain is basically dying yeah. slowly, right? Um, yeah, I saw people puking up there, and my brain was taking everything in in snapshots. Yeah. So I don't remember, like, walking to a point, but then I'll, like, have a memory of being there, and then it's, like, kind of a blur, and That's then I'll crazy. have another. It's, like, 10 frames per second. Yeah, of 30. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm on time lapse. Yeah. And uh, brain is not working right. No worky. So I just can't. I, I would love to picture you and Sarah. There's chatting. pictures of me, and I look straight <laughs> drunk. Like, like eyes are so totally like. He's got two half, drinks in his hand. Half closed, like giving a shaka for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like your other fingers actually aren't working. You aren't happy. It's, just, <laughs> it's not even a shaka. It's just the only fingers I have that are working. Um, so back to Mariana Trench. Uh, like I said, Everest is about twenty six thousand, I believe. What do you got? For Challenger Deep, um, this happens to from be sea level. Dodge Challenger Deep. This is the from sea level. That's no, the deepest space. part. Yes, from sea level. I'm going fifty thousand. That's roughly what I was thinking. I say sixty three thousand. These guys are dumb pieces of shit. Oh, it's so much a bit long farther. One hundred and forty three thousand. <laughs> Seven bil- bil- five million. <laughs> the moon. <laughs> Throwing the moon. The Mars. It's Mars. Thirty six thousand feet huh. deep. That's pretty deep. So it's. 10,000 feet. You put more. Basically, you can put Everest in there and you still have 10,000 feet above it. Oh, shit. You're good at math. But <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the I don't side get it. note. <laughs> the side note is it's not the area closest to the middle of the Earth. The poles, I guess, are actually, since the Earth is more of an oblong. Oh. No. Poles. Well, I don't believe you. Are closer huh. to the center of the Earth than the Mariana Trench. All right. That's the trivia. Right. It's oblong by Are you more sure? than 30 Or is the core just kind of off a little Some bit? feedback. The trench is not the part of the seafloor closest to the center of the Earth. This is because the Earth is an oblate spheroid. Huh. I've seen pictures of it. It's perfect, perfect spear. Its radius is 16 miles <laughs> smaller at the poles <laughs> than the equator. Wait, say that again. He was talking about oblate sphere nicknames, and I was laughing. Its radius is 16 miles smaller at the poles than at the equator. Interesting. It is actually a squeezed oblong. So you're no, saying it's, it's a, flat. It's an oblate. Yeah, I've heard so it's flat. Busy flat. There you have it. <laughs> it's an oblate spheroid, <laughs> and that's your trivia. Hmm. Shout out to 100,000 feet, or who, who's who threw out 100,000? I said 50. 50, yeah, you were... So I was pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I guess he said sixty-three. Well, you were Mount Ever- you were Mount Whitney away from. Hey, the that's been relatively. You know, yeah. What did you guess, dipshit? I was there. <laughs> I watch Octonauts. Creature Report. Is that where that was from? No, I don't know what that. Uh, they do. They do have an episode about it. But uh, that's okay. where it's from. All right. Well, that was fun. Trivia. Thanks for teaching us, Ollie. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, Happy New Year. New Year. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yep. I don't know if it's. Happy so this, this episode is obviously we're it's in the new well year to 2020. Well, 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 well. Oh, well by the well, way, happy well. morning motors today. Yeah. Everyone. Enjoy. I hope hey, you enjoy it. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs>
Is really? That's what you're going with? You're welcome. Yeah, the people are thanking me. Oh. For putting on morning motors. Yeah. Uh, thanking you're us. By yourself, you're doing it by yourself. Thanking us. Oh. Hellcat Deep, everyone. Let's marry trench. Fucker, I'm yeah. coming. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash driving wall awesome. Go check us out on Patreon and please become a patron of our podcast. It helps us out a lot and you get some cool stuff in return. We give you a weekly podcast, which we title Experts in Automotive Opinion. I think we've done 60 of those so far, something like that. We also give you exclusive Patreon-only stickers, and we'll send you a sticker pack right when you join. Uh, we give discounts and early access to certain events we do, like Camping While Awesome, and we give you first crack at our rallies. Check it out. And join us on patreon.com forward slash driving while awesome. Thank you guys.